Welcome everybody to Stone Cold Steve Austin proudly presents the Broken Skull Sessions here on Tap Out Talk. Let's get right in. We have today's guest. It is a big show. That's right. The big show from WWE fame. You might also know him as the giant, the son of Andre from the WCW world. On this episode four of Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Broken Skull Sessions. Let's get right into it. Go ahead and punch that glass. As we start in, they open up the show. Austin and uh, the big show firmly you know, they uh, draw in and they kind of start off joking a little bit about how he conducted 1%. Austin says he conducted 1% of the work in the studio. Um, Big Show compliments the studio. Uh, Austin saying that the only thing he really did was hang the Texaco sign hung in behind them. They then transition a little bit by shaking hands. Uh, Steve and the Big Show firmly shake hands and then jokingly discuss the worker's handshake, which is in the industry, an intentionally soft handshake to show the other wrestlers that you were light in the ring. So it was a little nice little nod to the behind-the-scenes stuff. The Big Show noted that the only person he didn't mind actually getting that from was Mean Gene Okerlund, since he knew it was kind of always a joke between Mean Gene and himself. Um, so they talked about the actual shake and the handshake of the you know wrestling world and what that kind of means as they start off about. Then they get into the first real topic of the day, which was a little bit of a surprise to me, and it might be a surprise to you guys. So let's go there. And that topic was Dungeons and Dragons. That's right, the board game, the role-playing game, Dungeons and Dragons. Big Show kind of discusses about playing Dungeons and Dragons with Vince Vaughn and Tom Morello and other celebrities in the Los Angeles area. And it turns out the Big Show is quite a big D&D Dungeons and Dragons fan and board game fan as he, uh, you know, does that kind of in his spare time. Austin kind of ribbed him a little bit and said, oh, well, that's why you haven't really been... uh, a hold of me as soon as you got out here to do filming. And he said, absolutely. He was meeting up with those guys and he didn't really, he knew he would have time with Austin today. So they kind of exchange a little bit back and forth. You could tell Austin really doesn't know anything about the dungeon and dragon world. And so you could tell he kind of shifted gears very quickly into the next topic that he wanted to go to. Um, Cause I have a feeling the big show would have talked to D and D all day long. So and that next topic was, they kind of went right into his uh, WWE uh, a return to wrestling when he first got back into the world of wrestling. So um, in terms of making his return, the show received a text at 12.02 a.m. from none other than the boss man, Vince McMahon, to compete on Monday Night Raw. So he got that message at 12.02 a.m. on a Sunday, or Monday morning, I should say. And then he went on in that Monday night, kind of was handed the script and kind of was going through you know, the phases of his return to the big dance. Um, it was, you know, of course, a surprise and kind of a last minute decision by Vince, he was told. And then what it really boiled down to is the show was um, sweating uh, a double power bomb bump that he had to take from the AOP, the author, Authors of Pain, who were um, the muscle for Seth Rollins at the time. 
And um, since it was his first bump that he's taken in nearly two years, but once it occurred, his body was completely fine. So he was just a little bit worried because he was like, hey, I'm going to have these big, you know, younger guys kind of taking me down. <clears throat> and uh, so just wanted to really do a good job for him, which he did. Up next, they get into Anderson and Flair. Uh, the big show, you know, kind of starts into this uh, next, you know, series of conversations with the big show, how he always looked up to Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, two of his favorite wrestlers of all time. And he felt no one was tougher than double A Arn Anderson. He said he was by far the toughest. And there was a reason they called him the enforcer. And then, you know, Flair is just Flair. Everybody loves Flair. But you may find out um, there was another item, actually, that the big show was a huge fan of growing up. And that was Honeycomb Cereal. Believe it or not, um, later on, he did get his own endorsement on a Honeycomb Cereal box. However, um, to change, you know, as a kid, he actually had another favorite cereal, and he had to change to Honeycomb just because of Andre the Giant uh, being featured in a commercial, and he wanted to be big like him. So show kind of talks about how if he changed his cereal as a kid, that's a big deal, right? Because you have your favorites. Like, I know mine personally, you know, I like my Captain Crunch, Peanut Butter Crunch. I like my Lucky Charms, right, with a little side of Wheaties sometimes. But uh, the big show talks about his change and how that was a life-changing event for him to go to honeycomb because of andre the giant he wanted to grow up and be big like andre and he looked at himself and he said well i guess mission successful speaking of andre the giant um that was a big factor in the big show's initial wrestling debut so he was originally scouted by wcw and uh, he was brought in um hogan in his autobiography kind of a side note actually talked about being responsible for uh, meeting Paul White and then kind of initially talking to WCW about him. But ultimately, when Stone Cold thinks of Giants, Stone Cold said that Andre and the Big Show are the only two that really come to mind for him. Um, This actually gave the Big Show a lot of credibility when WCW positioned him as Andre's son. So the son of the Andre the Giant. And I remember watching this when I was younger, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's Andre the Giant's son. That's so cool. Um, But it felt, you know, like it backfired since their lifestyles, you know, felt so different. And Big Show said he felt kind of shady pretending to be, you know, Andre's son. He said he would have people coming up to him. and They said, I love watching your father work and I really love watching you work. And he just had to kind of say, thank you, you know, kind of awkwardly. So, you you know, this shows that the Big Show has a good heart and he's generally a really good guy. So um, Stone Cold then, you know, also mentions that he saw tremendous potential in the Giant character as they called him the giant um but he could visibly tell that he was really green in the ring so um the stories kind of started out too the big show initially showed up at bash of the beach and threw andre the giant's shirt at hawk hogan and said you know kind of they played it up as i'm coming for revenge for my father and hogan had to relive one of his greatest opponents you know ever since wrestlemania 3 right when he body slammed him and then what happened was uh, this led to a big matchup and a showdown at Halloween Havoc. And this was uh, Halloween Havoc 96. And what it was is they were on top of um, the building in Detroit. And they decided to have a monster truck battle. Where it was Hawk Hogan's monster truck versus the Giants uh, monster truck. Represented by the Dungeon of Doom. And after they had a monster truck battle. Then they would go down and have the battle in the ring. And I remember um, seeing this matchup. And you know thought it added a little bit extra You know, too, because I didn't really watch too much of this stuff, but as far as monster trucks. But then when they got, um, the idea was he threw the giant off the top of the building. 
and they didn't know if Andre was dead, or excuse me, Andre, the big show, the son of Andre, was dead. They didn't know if the giant lived. And then it turned out the giant uh, fell into the river near the building and came and he debuted to wrestle Hogan for the WCW championship. And in that match, they had a back and forth battle with Kevin Sullivan and the Dungeon and Doom backing up the giant. And in his first ever pro wrestling match in his entire life, the giant, Paul White, beat Hawk Hogan one, two, three to become the WCW world champion immediately. And what a huge turn of events and instant build of a character. I mean, I was like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. And so Hogan, um, and this actually started with Jimmy Hart, his longtime friend and manager, betraying Hawk Hogan during the match too. So if you ever want to watch that on the network, it's Halloween Havoc 1996. Highly recommend. Had a lot of good undercard matches on there as well. So then at this point, we get into a little bit more talk, and they kind of talk about how the end of that match occurred with a debut of another character called the Yeti, right? Um, I always kind of felt he looked a little bit like a, a man just covered in toilet paper. It was kind of really rough, but they came out, and these two giants, the Yeti, and uh, which looks like a mummy, and then the giant coming out after Hawk Hogan, and they're all attacking him. Um, the two joked about the Yeti, whose real name was Ron Reese. And then um, actually, you know, in that note, Ron Reese um, actually was, you know, kind of an uh, amateur pro wrestler. And Austin, you know, asked why Ron never made it. And the show noted that he was a really nice guy, but just couldn't connect the dots. And perhaps there was only room for one giant in that territory. But he just didn't seem to have the it factor that a lot of big men sometimes miss out on. They just get a chance because of their size. So um, from there, Big Show goes on. And he wants to talk about the WCW opponents that he had over the years. Um, the show notes that as the giant, he compensated for his lack of experience by taking bumps in the ring. And so he noticed that being green, he couldn't just suggest alternatives to fit the psychology of the match. The giant was dis disillusioned in WCW, and he felt like a kid in a candy store since he was working with all the big stars. He got to work with Hawk Hogan and Ric Flair and Sting and Randy Savage, and Kevin Nash, and etc., right? So he got to work with all the big names, you know, in his initial run. Um, he said, you know, kind of overall, he was talking a little bit about, you know, Ric Flair being, you know, kind of, again, one of his mentors that he looked up to all those years. So that was kind of a big, you know, deal for him. And then, of course, if you grew up watching Ric Flair, you also grew up watching Sting, right? So, um and one of the things, you know, he kind of got to work with a lot of these different guys. But one of the things that, um, you know, Hawk Hogan obviously was his first match. and um, But then one of the best pieces of advice that was given to him outside that initial Hogan match, Hogan then turned heel and became the leader of the NWO, you know, a little bit later on. And then um, in that case, the macho man Randy Savage, you know, eventually made his way over to WCW. And he said, Randy Savage always used to suggest to um, Big Show, he said, less is more. And he said, you're going too fast, uh, slow down. The show used the analogy of learning equations without having to use math, which he later gained in WWF. So, you know, it was like a very, you know, tough kind of learning curve for him to have to work with these stars without any lot of guidance. So um, Austin noted that one of the Giants' crutches was simply yelling. 
And uh, Steve noted that Braun relies, Braun Strowman actually relies heavily, too heavily on being able to yell too much in the ring. The Big Show noted that it was his insecurity slipping through when he yelled to try to garner a reaction. Um, when they were on the topic of the NWO, the Big Show noted overall that he's happy for them going into the WWE Hall of Fame. And the Big Show, you remember, was a member of the faction kind of on and off, but you know, he wishes to honestly give those guys the Stone Cold Steve Austin two-finger salute because um, a great faction and drew plenty of money but regretted getting beat down, uh, not gaining revenge, and then simply not recruited to join. He felt this was politicking as a way of those three uh, to protect themselves, basically. So he felt like the politics were really bad in WCW with these guys. And as we heard through other stories over the years, and he said, um, he just felt like, you know, they never wanted to really put over any of the newer stars like himself and Goldberg and some of those guys that were just really the new made WCW guys. Um, when he asked about working with Sting overall, the show noted um, that he was a consummate professional. He was nice and, and saved him from making a lot of mistakes. He said Sting was always very cool with him. Um, he always provided him with good sound advice in the industry. Steve also noted that the two shared a great chemistry when they wrestled with each other. The Big Show was also mentioning um, was sad for the business when WCW closed because he felt like it was one less place to work and make money. And so that's not good for wrestling when you only have one show in town. He felt the beginning um, of the end was beginning when the NWO started burying all the baby faces on the card and they just really started taking them over too much. Uh, Big Show shared a story about how he you know, showed up to an autograph session one time in Chicago ahead of Bret Hart, Luna Vachon, Jeff Jarrett, and Bam Bam Bigelow. And he was asked to leave because he didn't have enough experience being too young. So this kind of just part of the program showed a little bit of show's growth behind the scenes of WCW because he was pushed to be on the same level as, you know, Hogan and Flair and Sting and all these guys. But the reality was he wasn't an established star. And the big show, you know, he understands that and he knows it. And you can see it comes across really well in this um, Austin interview of this Broken Skull session. The Big Show's dealings with Eric Bischoff were fairly positive, but he did note that Eric was very influenced by Hogan, Hall, and Nash. So he said it was always kind of hard to get um, them out of Eric Bischoff's ear. So he was way too influenced by those guys, which unfortunately was the demise, the rise and the demise of WCW. Then after we talk about WCW for a little while, they get into the WWF debut. That's right. Back then, the WWF, formerly known, now known as WWE. The Big Show noted his transition to WWF was so difficult because they were taught so differently. You know, the WWF product was way different than WCW. So he had to basically relearn everything that he knew. Um, initially, he debuted at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the pay-per-view uh, the Big Show debuted, and he his job was to attack Stone Cold Steve Austin um, in the match between Austin versus McMahon. So that was, you know, a big payoff match between these two. And the idea was that the giant, also known today as Paul White, <clears throat> was to interfere. And then the Big Show also noted that when he and Stone Cold fought um, the next week following the pay-per-view, he made a critical mistake, and Vince asked the Big Show, what do you want to do with Steve? And since he wanted, you know, the two to compete at WrestleMania the following year, but he didn't know how to respond. So the show openly agreed to put Steve over. Um, but he said he felt Vince didn't respect the fact that he wouldn't stick up for himself. So that was something that was almost a test from McMahon. You know, he said, 
He asked him, what do you want to do? And the Big Show said, oh, I want to put over Steve right away. When these two could really could have probably had a bigger payoff match than just what happened on, you know, Monday Night Raw and weekly programming. So that was, you know, just a lot of learning curves. And again, you feel the learning and growth in this podcast when he talks about his start and then getting into the WWF and learning how to do business a whole other way. Also, on that note, it kind of talked about his WWF friends. Um, one of the things that, you know, he kind of said when he first got there is, you know, there was a lot of guys since he got a big contract to come over to WWF. There was a lot of guys, you know, that weren't, the, you know, the nicest to him in the beginning. They're kind of like, well, who's this guy and why should he get so much money? And so it wasn't like, hey, the door's open. Come on in, buddy. Let's be friends. Um, the industries can be a tricky thing. Austin asked show. Um, who he went to upon arriving and, you know, the big show said that things were so bad. He goes, I started riding with public enemy, you know, who, um, were a tag team, you know, kind of a low level tag team at the time. Um, the rock was very good to him. He said, you know, um, the people's champ always kind of treated him the right way, but he was just on such a different path. And he was, you know, at the top of the company where the big show was kind of just getting, you know, thrown into that mid card a little bit. He said also that Billy Gunn was really nice to him, and he started to help him out too. And he was at the time, the at one point, the Intercontinental Champion. Um, but Billy Gunn was always pretty decent to him. But he said that the big contract, again, just kind of got in the way and kind of made a lot of people mad. The input that was uh, provided to him was minimal, as his opponents you know, called the matches. So he wasn't really given a lot to work with when he first got there. Austin then asked the Big Show about his relationship with the one and only Undertaker. Um, the undertaker is always known as a locker room leader in the WWF and kind of the main guy behind the scenes. So I was interested in hearing this response and, you know, his exact response, the big show noted, he said, when I fell on my face, he took me under his wing. And he said, the big show also noted that Brian Adams, formerly crush, um, likely put in a good word for him. Cause you know, that helped him since, you know, Brian and the taker were so close with each other. So uh, he said the taker actually lectured the big show on bumping too much and overselling. And he said there wasn't enough aggression in his in-ring cardio. Big show's like, what the, fu- what the F right. Um, and he said, you, he, and he said, basically, you know, what were you thinking about doing? Um, the big show envied stone cold and that the undertaker for being so experienced yet having so much enjoyment. Um, another thing that was noted was his biggest issue was inconsistency and in that he could hit a home run and then hit a strikeout. He said, he, you're just too inconsistent. You know, you go blow the roof off and then the next thing you know, you're, you know, stinking up the joint. So the undertaker was trying to help him find that medium balance between too great and too little. Um, Austin shared an example of the undertaker at this point, um, changing his style and knowing that he could blow off the roof in the buildings like other athletes, but it didn't fit his character or style overall. So the show agreed that you can easily, you know, tear one up inside. Um, Austin asked, when did you learn to work like a giant? So that was one question that Austin did ask of the show. Um, And he replied, I worked with this real prick for two weeks in Europe. And he's looking right at Stone Cold at this point. And he goes, he was the coolest guy outside of the ring to hang out with. Great sense of humor. But inside the ring, he would stomp my ass for eight minutes straight. He would hit me with this finish, pour beer on me, and then that was the end of it. And, of course, this was Austin that he was referring. He said John Laurinaitis and Fit Philly urged him to fight like a giant. But he was unsure what that meant since this guy hasn't, you know, really called anything. And he said it all clicked after getting hit from Austin. And he said after a few of those Austin shots to the face, 
um, he needed to send him some aggressive, you know, receipts. So the Big Show noted that he learned from Stone Cold and he forced others to step up in the ring. And Stone Cold always made people elevate or he would just leave them in the dust. And that forced him to try and change his mindset a bit. And uh, that was where really in Europe where Big Show learned how to fight like a giant and not be afraid to punch back and not give up too much. So he brought up the fact again about Braun Strowman giving up too much to Sami Zayn. And, you know, he kind of said, you know, he really needs Sami Zayn. You know, he goes, I know I understand he's trying to be nice, but he goes, you need to squash a guy like Sami Zayn. He'll have his day against Kevin Owens. But he goes, you really need to establish yourself as a giant. So it means more to the other talent. And I actually liked a lot of this conversation between the two about his WWF friends and kind of what they taught him because, you know, I think we've all been a part of a job where you didn't get a lot of help from people around you and you just had to kind of figure things out on your own and you expect to be that guy. So I can really relate there to that. And I um, just really kind of appreciated that overall. And then we get to a point, um, the topic was brought up to the big show about being demoted to OVW, which was Ohio Valley Wrestling. Uh, WWE's uh, developmental territory back in the day. So you, you could think of that as NXT before NXT actually started. Um, the show felt that he was out of you know ring shape due to recent surgeries on his knee. He blew up. He missed a few spots, which made The Undertaker really livid at him. And then he went from main eventing WrestleMania to Ohio Valley Wrestling. Coming out of Ohio Valley Wrestling, the show took the business more seriously since everything he received was taken away. Um, and it was an expensive education, basically, about the business. But it was definitely worth it. And he felt like he got the more formal training that he should have always had to try to really hone his skill. Um, there's a lot of good work that comes out of OVW back in the day. And I know Jim Cornette you know, ran a lot of that with a couple other guys. Ted DiBiase was down there. Um, but I'm just going to say a lot of guys like Randy Orton, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, the list goes on of guys they've developed down there. And so they have um, done some phenomenal work of getting guys into the business, a lot of which NXT is meant to do today. The Big Show noted that since Vince liked him but didn't know how to bring out that potential in him, his relationship with Vince didn't start to improve until John Laurinaitis came along. And he noted that Jim Ross was very disappointed with his physique. It was an old school lesson which Show didn't appreciate at the time. But um, he talked about how, you know, Jim Ross really was, you know, looking out for him because he sees a lot of the guys like Andre who died too young and um, due to a lot of weight issues and he wanted to show to be fit and he wanted him not to have, you know, an early death basically. So he didn't appreciate it at the time because he was like, I'm a giant, I'm supposed to be big. Um, but he realized they were looking out for him. Vince never placed the big show in the Andre category, but expected more out of him due to his charisma, size and athleticism. And this is kind of when we get a little bit into um, the show's next phase of wrestling. And they bring up some of the um, more of the comedic stunts of the big show and how he uh, partnered with Rikishi at one point in time and did the show Kishi thing. And I remember that all stemmed from the big show being on Saturday Night Live, right? Uh, the Rock also was on there, hosted one night, but the big show was on there. And they found out the big show has a sense of humor. So he's a big guy that can also make people laugh. And that's where uh, the Big Show started doing a lot more comic and shtick to, you know, kind of lighten his workload a little bit, but still remain entertaining to the fans. And it worked out. Um, you know, that could have been also Austin said he could never see himself doing that much of that kind of stuff. But the Big Show made it work. Um, they also talked about the Shaq versus Big Show match that always seems to be teased in the WWE nowadays. And they talked a little bit about, you know, Austin asked, said the big show about a potential working with Shaq since Shaquille O'Neal's schedule is so hectic, it just never really worked out. 
The show noted that he could carry the two to a respectable match, but he would prefer a tag match um, with others involved who could also bump. Uh, these two did meet at WrestleMania in a uh, Andre the Giant honorary battle royal. And they had a nice little face-off there. And then other than that, they did have a little bit of a crossover recently in AEW. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to end up doing something with that or not, but only time will tell. We talked a little bit more about some of his opponents um, in the WWE that he really just enjoyed working with. And first off the gates was Kurt Angle. Um, Austin asked the Big Show about his relationship with Kurt Angle, which, you know, just immediately made Big Show smile. Kurt is an absolute nicest. I love him to death. He's such an amazing talent, to quote Big Show. Um, the show put over how he never ran out of cardio, despite being an athlete of an Olympic you know, gold medalist level. He never took himself too seriously, and he loved that about Kurt. Um, Austin notes that he once blew Kurt up from time to time and would text him, never forget Fresno. So Austin basically told a story about how he just ripped Kurt a new one. And um, Big Show was kind of shocked because he's like, are you kidding me? Kurt's the nicest guy in the world. Um, you know, I've uh, personally met Kurt Angle and um, myself and Kurt's a nice guy, super, super nice to anybody you walk up and talk to. Um, so just, you know, you can tell he's been around the world and he's handles fame very well. And I got to hand that to him. Very, you know, high class act with Angle. And I really believe that Angle... Um, actually is not playing his part. He is his part. He is Kurt Angle. So to continue, um, the Big Show also put over the fact that he enjoys working with Brock Lesnar and he put over Brock's athleticism. He said, and then um, there was footage of the ring crashing down shown with the show, uh, the Big Show and Brock Lesnar. And he noted that it felt amazing, right? To have this just moment with Brock and um, on a Monday Night Raw when the ring just crashed. And so the Big Show's favorite version of his character really was towards the end of his career from 2011 to 2014. And he goes, that's where he felt confident and Vince viewed him as dependable and, you know, able to be counted on. He said, Brock was the most explosive, strong guy he's ever been in the ring with. However, he did mention there is another Mark Henry, another Olympic competitor. And he said, Mark Henry is one of the most physically strong persons he's ever been in the ring with hands down. And so he just talked about, uh, Mark Henry and amazing bear-like strength. He then kind of went on a little bit and talked about um, some other opponents like John Cena. He said is the most functionally strong. He's never been in the ring with, um, and he goes, he compares him to a forklift. He said just, you know, he goes, he definitely has a lot of strength for the guy his size and a great work ethic. Uh, he briefly touched on his relationship with Mark Henry and the show briefly know that he's never been defeated in an arm wrestling competition in his entire career. The Big Show is also a global ambassador for the Special Olympics, and they talked a little bit about his charity work, and he believes it's his human spirit at its purest. Um, often the first time these athletes ever receive proper medical care is at the Special Olympics. So um, he said when he officially hangs up the boots, he would like to have you know some odd matches overseas. And they talk a little bit more about just some of these WWE opponents that he's had you know, over the years. And um, he was saying also that, you know, some – he said that Sheamus, just to note a few others, was one of the toughest competitors he's ever faced and incredibly intense and um, definitely an up-and-comer in his era. Austin notes that Kane labels the Big Show as the biggest big man ever, but Show says it's quite the other way around. Um, if you kind of you know think about it, um, Big Show is actually, Andre was still big, but there was guys like Great Khali 
and others that really just were bigger than him, right? So, but the Big Show was definitely, you know, one of the more athletic big men that was around. So that's kind of where it is an advantage for him. Um, the Big Show tears up a little bit when Austin brings up Kane's praise. Um, and then, you know, one of the best advice, pieces of advice is the show said he's ever received is treat every day like it's your first day at work. And he says it was one of the best pieces of advice he was given in this industry. Um, Stone Cold also notes that the big show has become so well versed in the world of pro wrestling that he turned into a mentor who frequently gives back. And he greatly helped Mark Henry, among others, kind of take that next step to the top. Um, the big show, you can tell, generally is a nice guy. I've never heard a bad story about him backstage. He's kind of the one everybody loves. And you could tell whether it's the males or the females, he helps those guys out no matter what. Even the girls have even talked about how he's helped them in some of their matches. The big show says he also, you know, finds himself teaching the cruiser weights. Ironically, you know, they come to him for advice as that seasoned veteran. And he enjoys that. And so and that's kind of what he would like to continue to do in his wrestling career. We then get to, you know, what's next and kind of, we talk about his current WWE role then now and forever. And uh, Austin asked him if he is currently acting, you know, gig satisfies him in the way that he did. You know, the big show mentions that he has a partnership with Netflix with his, um, the big show it's called actually that airs with the WWE and Netflix and it's his own television show. Uh, the wrestlers must find something that are, is the same with their creativity in the business. And he says that this show provides him the same thrills pro wrestling. Austin asks, then he goes, what is the current state of the WWE and where do you believe that sports entertainment business is heading? Here the big show thinks about it and he said, we've never had more athletic talent than we've had now in the WWE. Austin looked at him and Austin says, is that good or bad? And the show says, if it's good, if it's done right. But the one thing I'm upset about is that they're, everybody's just too nice. They're too friendly and they're too comfortable. They're too happy to be working there. And he said, Vince will tell you himself, if you're going to, you're going to have to step on somebody's toes if you're going to make it in this business. And he goes, I want to see some toe stepping. That's really what I want to see out of these guys. I'm not talking about being a dick, but I want to see someone stand up who does business that has the drive that has to eat through somebody. And that's fine. He goes, we're not all friends. We're not all going to Chipotle together. He goes, we're here to make money, and we're not all going to play Madden on a computer in a back locker room together. I think this kind of talks a little bit about how the industry has changed over the years. Um, back then, it was very much real, and there was not a lot of guys that could find you know mutual ground, and they kind of just bonded over some beers at the bar, right? And nowadays, these guys are bonding over comic books. They're bonding over video games, so it's just a different dynamic, and The Undertaker kind of talked about this at one point. One person that he said he always seen a lot in was, and who was starting to just now become the talk of the town is Drew McIntyre. He goes, he always liked Drew, and despite the ups and downs, um, but now he has the look of a million bucks. And he goes, experience, he seasons, and he's snug when he works. Uh, the Big Show wants to see also Big E get a little more aggressive. He would like to see him kind of drop some of the little, you know, New Day kind of goofier gimmick, and would like to see him kind of take on a different role. Steve Austin then has an invite to make an appearance during season two of the big show. Um, He notes that Rikishi McFoley and Mark Henry all excelled in their guest roles. And he said that the show would like to feature Mark Henry more heavily through the second season. So we'll look on that, be on the lookout for that. And Mark Henry appearing on the stone cold podcast. Um, The guys wrapped up from here. 
And let's get to the bottom line. Um, this was a show of ups and downs from Dungeons and Dragons to locker room life to a lot more history of how the big show got into the business. And it gave me a lot of perspective about his struggles. And I didn't realize that, you know, he was struggling so much in learning the business all the way up until almost his mid career in the WWE. So um, that was a good learning lesson here in the overall arc of this podcast. Um, so if that's kind of your thing and you like fan of the big show, I would definitely recommend it as a watch. But um, my goal here is done, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And this has been Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Broken Skull Sessions on Tap Out Talk. And for now, don't forget, like, share, subscribe. Thanks for watching. But hate to go, but for now, it's game over.